So tell us, what are we going to talk about today? We are going to trust the process and fly wherever that hummingbird leads us. I love it. Welcome to the Hummingbird Podcast, where we use poetry to chat about creativity, process, and the mysteries of life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisagi Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis people. As treaty people, we continue our journey to strengthen our understanding of our treaty relationship and of how to move forward together in a good way. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect conversation. Last time we were together, we started talking about The Creative Act, A Way of Being, a book by Rick Rubin. It felt like there was more to talk about here. We each were going to walk away and kind of think about where to go with that. And I decided that my process for making a decision, because so much of the book is so great, was to randomly flip the pages and let the book open to where it wanted to open and to the lesson it wanted me to focus on. That would be my lesson this week. And I just think that's a really beautiful way to enter into reading a book for a third time, letting it choose me. The section that I'm bringing to you today, Catherine, is on page 157, and it's called Try Everything. And I actually wanted to share with you just a little bit of um, some lines that stood out for me. But before I do, I'll take a pause, and then we can jump into looking at some of this. Well, hello, Jessica. (laughs) Lovely to be in this space with you. And I love how you let your intuition guide you to where it wanted to go just by opening up the book and seeing what was there, and then having that connection as you're going to share this with us now. And it's been an interesting time of thinking about this book as I weave through my week and more stories to share there too. The end of page 158. I love when he says... Instead of talking through different solutions to work out which is best, take it out of the realm of the verbal. To truly weigh choices, it's necessary to bring them into the physical world, have them acted out, played out, or built into a model. Descriptions do not do ideas justice. We want to set up an environment where the decision-making occurs free of misguiding force of persuasion. Persuasion leads to mediocrity. To be evaluated, ideas have to be seen, heard, tasted, or touched. So often I get caught up in the idea of just talking about the ideas. And so I loved that he's just like, just do it. And it kind of reminds me of that bottom in chair rule. Let's stop talking about what we're going to work on or what we're going to do or just try things. Yeah. And I can't help but think about where it says, take it out of the realm of the verbal, how that connects to the workshop that I led on Friday. I was reading in Grimsby. I was reading from my book, Put Flowers Around Us and Pretend We're Dead at the library there. The librarian approached me and she said, I see that you also do workshops. Um, 
on creativity. And I do, and I have this one called the creative problem solver that moves from problems more in the verbal kind of area to the visual area. So we work through a creative visualization to gain insight into what our problems might be telling us through the imagery. So the group that I worked with on Friday, we did that. And it's really interesting because I teach a lot of creative writing and I have since COVID, I haven't been leading this workshop, but it started, I guess, maybe 20 years ago where I was invited to, to lead a workshop for a conference that was looking at how to get sort of the logical part of the brain and the imagistic part of the brain connected and how we might be able to do that rather than see them as two separate things. So I designed this workshop that worked with that. So it was really interesting. You know, we talked about full circle moments and this in some ways felt like that because I grew up in Grimsby. <laughs> I it was the first library that I went to as a little girl. So going back there and then going back to do this workshop that I hadn't done in many years. And then also then moving into that space of possibility and possibility in terms of what happens when we shut our eyes and move into a place of quiet. And then in that place of quiet, allowing a problem that we're currently experiencing to appear to us in image form and working with people that I hadn't worked before when, when we did this activity. There's a leap of faith. I don't know the group that I'm working with. I knew Catherine, the, the organizer, but there's that leap of faith of, will this happen? Will an image come to them? And Jessica, every time I have done this workshop and including the one that I did recently, imagery came. So it just shows me the power of imagery and how it's just available to us, not just as artists, but just as humans and how the imagery that can pop up through these visualizations can give us so much information about different ways of seeing what we're experiencing in the world. And it's not necessarily about a quick fix, but it can be a way of re-examining something, releasing something, reframing something. And so it just reaffirmed all of that. And I love too how it's taking away from ideas and being caught up in, in the situation and allowing other realms of how we move as humans and into that space of insight and possibility and also can be very healing. Mm -hmm. I love how you brought this to life with having the participants in the workshop literally acting out, playing out, shifting things out of the realm of the verbal into the visual. Then the impact on that, when you have that capacity to guide people or to be guided through that, which everybody has the capacity to be guided through it. It's more the opportunity to be guided that you're, you're usually looking for. New connections and new ideas often come. And I also find that sometimes that the people in the room, there's something that happens with a mashup of the energy of the people who are there. Did you find that at all in your workshop? I did. And it was really interesting to sort of see the releases that happen. And then one particular participant shared something that I won't reveal what it is, but it was so life affirming and so positive that it, it just warmed my heart. And I was just so grateful for that feedback because I wouldn't have known otherwise. And so it just showed the power, as you say, of the alchemy that can happen in that place of trust and connection and opening up to what imagery can tell us. And I, I remember years ago when I did the exercise on myself, I had this image of myself being stuck in snow up to my waist. And it was kind of snow that's icy and stiff. You can't really move through it. It's got you locked in place. So that was 
one of the visualizations when I thought about the problem that I was currently having or the challenge. And then when I did the visualization where I imagined the problem was no longer a problem, the challenge was no longer a challenge. And what that looked like, it looked like a puddle. So it was, uh, I was free to move and I could move out of my locked position. And I realized in the connection between the two images, what was needed for me to enter into as a way of sort of dealing with the situation that I was in was I needed time to do its thing. In winter, things lock you in, the snow and the ice and so on, but it's not permanent and seasons change and snow melts and we're able to move. But that time was essential. And I'll share what my original challenge was. The challenge actually was a a writing project that I was working on. And I was just feeling it wasn't like writer's block, but it was just sort of stuck with the process. And I knew there were things that it needed. But then I realized what it needed was time to sit. In that time to sit, then it revealed it to me what it needed. That way too, it wasn't like a quick fix where, oh, I'm going to have this image of me stuck in snow and oh, there's a puddle and now I know what to do. It took time to understand the images. So that's the other thing thing too it's interesting to sort of see what can happen in that space and then how sitting with that what it will reveal to us on its own timeline which we've talked about as well how creativity there's a surrendering there and how the work knows more than we do and and I feel the images know more than we do but it's sitting with them and listening to them and and then connecting to what they're telling us so yeah so that uh, was interesting to as I say to return to all of this thinking and thinking about the different parts of ourselves the logical analytical and the rational versus the intuitive and the imagistic and the way that that part of ourselves wants connection and relationship and to see things holistically rather than a competitive kind of way so yeah I really like how you've taken the idea of creativity and visualization and ideas imagination all of these things are brought together but they're also brought together for the purpose of problem solving and that connects directly to what Rick Rubin is also saying in this section called try everything on the next page page 159 he says when working through ways of solving a puzzle there are no mistakes Each unsuccessful solution gets you closer to one that works. Widen your field of view. If the idea takes the project somewhere with a stronger energetic charge, follow the new direction. Demanding to control a work of art would be just as foolish as demanding that an oak tree grow according to your will. I just love that. And that just when you were talking there and speaking to how people engaged with their work, and then when you got more specific about your example with the snow, I thought, there you are using visualization to work through different ways of solving this puzzle. I love that he's reminded us that in that work, there are no mistakes because sometimes we can be hard on ourselves and think that there is a particular way that something needs to be done. And I had underlined in the book and start it to talk today about the line about controlling a work of art would be just as foolish as demanding that an oak tree grow according to your will. How often are we in our day working to to gain control of things, to gain control of our environment, to gain control of our time, to gain control of something that we're working on artistically, creatively. But what would happen if we let go of that control? What would happen if we just let the section of the book, for example, decide 
what wanted to be read rather than what we wanted. And yesterday uh, I was at home and I decided that I, I had been thinking about this for days. I feel that there's an energy in books. And when I moved into my house in the summer, I just unpacked things. So I put all the books on the bookshelf, but I didn't take the time to listen to the books about who they wanted to be with. This might sound a little nutty. However, yesterday I took all of the books off of all of the shelves in my house and started listening to where the books wanted to be in the house. <laughs> And then I replaced them on the shelves next to other books that they would like to be near. That exercise of going through all of my books, touching all of my books, being with all of my books, that energetic exchange that we had, looking at why these books wanted to be with these books. I, I've got to tell you, this morning when I woke up and I went downstairs and I went by the bookshelves, it felt like the books were singing. It felt like oh, they were having this, this humming meditation chant of peace and joy because they were all where they want to be. And I, I, I went and I actually looked at the bookshelf and went, all right, so you're happy with what we did yesterday. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, you let me know if you want to be somewhere else at any given time. But for right now, I am just so delighted that you are happy where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that they were singing. I can't help but think of like it was a book choir that you'd created and then they're just in that space of singing back to you and that way too of listening. So it seems to me that you were completely following your intuition there, Jessica, in terms of what you were getting from this book versus this book and where they wanted to go. Can you remember which one started with which or how that process began? Was it sort of, was there a moment of pause and then just sort of diving in and then it just kind of unfolded or what happened? Oh no, they haunted me all week, like <laughs> ghostly spirits. What was happening was I looked up on the mantle and I had some books on the mantle with a little bamboo plant on it. And they said to me, why are we here? And I said, I don't know, because the colors of your spine matched the room. And they said, well, that's not a good enough reason. You need to know why we're here if you want us to be here. And then I looked at the books that were in the sunroom at the bottom of the shelf. And they said to me, why are we here? You never take us off the shelf. You never look at us. Why are we here? Why aren't we upstairs in the space where you meditate? Why are we down here? We want to be upstairs. And then I went into the creative space where I have an extensive library of Indigenous-centered books. And they said, we're just so confused. We don't know who we are. We're not, we're not with our people. Like we've got a, a big mishmash here. We've got Margaret Atwood next to Thomas King next to Shakespeare. This can't happen. We need our own sections. We need to be with our, our cousins, with our relatives. We need to put the literature together. We need to put the Métis history books together, the books about plant-based learning and, and land together. We need to put the books around the Indigenous-centered pedagogy and decolonization of schools and communities and, and systems together. Because what had been happening over the last couple of weeks, a book would call out to me in a moment that I needed to get this book and I wouldn't know where to find it. And I would look through all the shelves and it would be very uncomfortable to try to figure out, well, well, where are you? And I would ask them, well, where are you? Why aren't you where I think you are? And it was because we hadn't taken this time to really decide where it is that they wanted to go. Now, this is something I've done since I was a child. And I find that books have talked to me since I was a child. And even I have memories of being in high school. And I don't, I don't know, maybe I've shared it on the podcast. You know, this is our 73rd, I think, episode um, that I've done anyways. And I think you and I, we've probably done almost 50. Wow. Just unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So, you know, sorry, listeners, if we're getting into repeat, but isn't that what life is? We just repeat, repeat, repeat. But I remember in high school, I was walking this and this would happen to me all the time. But this particular moment was a, was a big one. I was walking through the Oshawa McLaughlin Library, downtown Oshawa, going to meet a friend and a book literally leapt off the shelf and fell at my feet. And I picked it. I don't even know how it got there. I don't know. I picked it up and I decided I am, I'm 16 years old. I'm going to check this book out of the library before I even look at what it is. And then I pick it up and it was Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. I had never read anything by from that time period yet, any of those wonderful classics. It was just what I needed in that moment. It was, it was just the perfect book. And so since that was really when I was aware that that happened and was like, okay, I need to pay attention when books call out, then I, I continued to do that. If you're real quiet and you listen, you just never know. Your books might start talking to you. Are popping out. Has that ever happened out. for you? Popping out on your path. Yeah, yeah, it has happened in a way where sometimes you're just at a library and there's something about the spine of a particular book that you're just drawn to. And thinking about Grimsby in the library too, there was this book as a child that I remember taking out and titled What Color is Love? And there was just something about that. And then I just fell in love with this book and I loved the pictures. I, I may have talked about this book on previous episodes too, Jessica. I feel like we're in this really interesting deja vu land now of have we talked about this have I just thought about this I don't know you know it's so interesting about the journey with inner and outer and how that scene can just just be so porous and, and in a way as you say repeat 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 there there we are and the different things too that can come up with that but yeah it's such a powerful thing to sort of listen as well and how things can connect with other things and just even the way that you were describing it as why are we here which is really the the big question of life like why are we here and what does that mean and what do we do when we're here right yeah within the last couple weeks I've been I've been excited to share this experience with you at work recently I had the privilege the honor the gift of helping to harvest sweetgrass and then braiding it amongst some of my team members in the indigenous education department and I had never done that before there's a sacred medicine garden now that's been planted at one of our schools, we have pollinator gardens at other schools, and then we have a sacred medicine garden planted at the board office so that we can grow medicines that our team can use when they are working with Indigenous youth. I have never received the, the teachings before or had the experience uh, of sweetgrass before. Certainly Braiding Sweetgrass is one of my favorite books of yeah. all time, and I've read that one multiple times. So I, I wasn't a stranger to sweetgrass, and sweetgrass grows in the wild where my parents live. Growing up, we used to talk about how we wanted to bottle up the air and we couldn't figure out why the air smelled so sweet up there. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized that it was the sweet grass. We have this Friday, we all gathered together, we did a lot of other things, but we went outside and picked the sweet grass, brought it inside, sorted the sweet grass so that we didn't have crab grass that was in there. And then when you get ready to braid sweet grass, you want to have three groupings of seven strands so that you have 21. And sweetgrass, I don't know if you know this, but it's meant to be Mother Earth's hair. And the braiding of sweetgrass is in itself a ceremony. And you do it together. There are teachings across many different First Nation communities. And they differ a little bit from community to community. In some communities, it's a men's medicine. And men are the ones who, who harvest it. In other communities, it's the women. So we were having this conversation because we have such a diverse group of First Nation folks within 
in the department. I'm the only the Métis woman in the in the department. Then we got to braiding it together. And I had never done that before. And it was the most incredible experience. I, I felt like I was, my eyes were, were tearing up. I felt like I had been there before. It was one of those portal type experiences where you feel like you've, you've gone back to another world. And my body knew what to do, even though my mind did not, that it even was catching the attention of the other First Nations women that I was braiding with that they were like, wow, you really know how to do this. And I said, and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) And so that stuck with me. And I've had this great week of of writing a poem every day, every morning. It just seems I'm having like these wonderful experiences each day or this something will come to me in a dream. And then all of a sudden, this poem is coming through. And I'm, I'm beginning to learn that that part of what creativity is us driving the bus, if we call it that. But part of it is being open and allowing the bus to come out <laughs> to travel. And I feel like with this, this work in progress, it was one of those things like that experience, I felt like I was the noticer that I was sitting back and noticing this experience happening. And that when I wrote this poem, again, it was one of those beautiful moments where I was sitting back and the pen was moving and I wrote it all out by by hand first. And then there was this poem and I was just as amazed that a poem appeared as I was that I had braided sweetgrass. And so maybe I'll, I'll share that with you now. Yes, please. Sweetgrass. This first time braiding sweetgrass, love toured my knowing hands and sticky fingertips recognizing kindness like honey. While I wasn't here anymore, but somewhere else I've lived, among women braiding, compassion with Mother Earth's hair, this sacred medicine I am certain is my family, maybe since time began, energy crossing over generations to the middle of spirit, 21 strands in three groups of seven, and a glimpse of a woman I've seen before, all the way to the knot at the end. Thank you for that, Jessica. What what a wonderful way that it ends there too, all the way to the knot at the end. Yeah, it, it, it unravels, it braids itself sonically as well as we move through the poem and then the energy crossing over generations to the middle of spirit. It almost feels like you were in sort of the, we were looking at the circle, one of our episodes recently and that record image on the cover of Creative Act, that little nub, that little circle within the circle. And it feels like that's really where you were in this experience experience of being in the middle of, of what this is, the past and the present, all of that within. So, and I love how you just, you, as you say, you were a portal for the experience of the actual braiding, and then you were just a portal for, for the, the poem to come out. So this current kind of went in, in in different ways and the way too that you're touching it, like the fingers being part of that, the knowing hands, as you say, and the stickiness, but yet the stickiness, it seems to me, is part of the, almost the substance, the essence of, of what's happening as well. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And with today with this reading, I was thinking about that question, what would happen if we weren't in control? And with my little, my little, my little identity crisis of who am I and what am I doing here and what am I working on? I had decided within the last couple of weeks just to stop trying to know and just try things, just do things, just be things. This is an example of of what can happen when you let go of that control and you let that tree 
that oak tree grow according to its will, for example, as he says, demanding to control a work of art would be just as foolish as demanding that an oak tree grow according to your will. So when we let go of that, and we allow to be what is just to be, I'm just so delighted by the the gifts and the blessings that come from that. I'm going to just keep doing that. I'm going to just keep trying everything and not think about the outcome, not think about what I want, not think about where it's going to go and just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. During the workshop, I shared a poem about that process and how that's evident in what a butterfly goes through when it goes through its stages from larva to caterpillar to eventually being something that can fly. That whole metamorphosis, I feel that time when it's in that cocoon or chrysalis, that that's really what happens in the creative process. This all this synthesis of things and this alchemical change and yeah so I'll just I'll just share this poem now it's titled Amago and that's that state of being when it moves from something that's in the chrysalis to something that emerges into flight and I also love that Amago the plural is imagine so I love all the how words connect like that but here we go Amago my life as larva has ended silken girdle around my middle Pupa blends with vegetation. The greening gift of greener cloth. My chrysalis, the last in star. A swaddled change that can't be seen. Internal systems rearranging. Leather ripe, eclose my bind. Shrunken leaf, laundry wet. Pump in air, escape the crippling. Drain of red, it's time, it's time. Dew receives meconium. Dawn, the quiet, Imago, up. Mm, thank you so much. You know, I'm so glad that you brought the butterfly into our conversation today. I've been recently watching a documentary on Netflix every night before I go to bed. I don't know, I find it very peaceful and relaxing. And it's talking through the evolution of different living things in the world. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's one of these, it's a, one of the newer planet documentaries. And I think Morgan Freeman is the narrator. But last night, just as I went to sleep, we we were in the part of the history where evolution had made the butterflies giving them the wings and that capacity to be able to fly and to move. And I don't know that I'd ever thought about just the way butterflies came to be throughout the vast history of time over millions of years, for example, and that that process and 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 how they are what they are and then the the vast distances that they can travel and the butterfly is such a powerful image of transformation and of travel and going inward and going outward there's like a circle just even within its life yeah i'm wondering i've noticed over the years you, you you've got a lot of butterflies and connections to that cycle but i've never asked you about that before i'm wondering if you would like to tell me what what draws you into talking about through your poetry that cycle you know it's interesting because this is a poem actually from my first poetry book pupa which is now 20 years old so again another full circle moment and and so words within words that there was a during that time when i was working on this manuscript 
never really knowing is it going to be a first book, but just going from poem to poem, I was drawn to dolls. I was always, I always loved dolls as a child. And they were just as you were describing with the books, they, they would speak to me and I would speak to them. And there was this relationship that I had with them. So as a creator, when I was writing some poems, I realized I had this one poem, Worry Dolls. And then that led to another poem about dolls and so on. And so it sort of took on a life. And then I um, had this poem, Pupa, which connected to myself at the quarry and to being in that sort of that pupa state. And then I realized that pupa, of course, is now connected to butterflies. So it was really like starting with dolls, which led to pupa, which led to then thinking about the butterfly's life. So it's the last poem actually in that book. So again, it was like listening to the pieces that evolved into the next as as you were just even describing with the books, like, where do I go? And what about here? And, and, and so the book spoke to me in that way and so if I remember correctly this is one of the last poems that that I that I did write before the book was submitted and so on and yeah and I've just always been fascinated by that space of 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 within and yet so much happening in that space and that it can't be seen but it's so powerful and I think there's so much there for us as creators to to trust what that is and that alchemical energy that is nature in itself and knows what to do just as you described with the acorn the oak I mean you can't will it into being but if you have the the acorn and the acorn is is starting to grow it it will do its thing Mm -hmm. when we step out of the way and let it just do what it needs to do great things can happen even in the poem it talks about a swaddled change that can't be seen like that's the mystery that we're talking about here yeah. And then in the poem, you also write, it's time, it's time. So who am I to decide what time is right and when time is mm-hmm. or try to control time? Who am I to do that? What if I were, and it might be a, a big idea, but what if I were to let go of that and just be right here and see what happens? Yes. Which connects to I don't the, know. the sort of the subtitle of uh, Rick Rubin's book, A Way of Being. And it is. It's about being as well, isn't it? It is. And I think that's why I like what he said so much in this book, because it's so rich and that this is just a couple of pages, for example, that we randomly chose or I randomly chose for us to lean into today. I'm just so delighted about where it took us that a week ago, you and I had a very different idea of where we might go this week. Um, Listeners, just so that you know, this is our process too with this podcast is the, the last words we said before we turned the microphone on was that we needed to trust the process and we remind ourselves of that all of the time because we'll have a little pre-conversation usually just to check in how are you what's new you know all that personal stuff first and then okay how are we going to start and if we can figure out how we're going to start the conversation then we just sit back and we trust and hope that the words come out that we need to say to each other that help us grow in our learning that help you grow in your learning and then our hope is that together that we're all walking alongside each other to try and engage every day in this way of being this way of being and having a creative life of engaging in everything that's around us and deepening those relationships with ourselves with other people and with land with everything with everything i love it thank you for that jessica Catherine graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in toronto jessica outram is a metis writer and educator living in peterborough the music has been generously provided by shannon linton connect with us online at the hummingbirdpodcast.com. Yeah.